1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. When, we, when you get to this passage, it's a, a guy by the name of Paul, who uh, his, his former name was Saul, and he hated Christians. He killed some Christians. He put many, many Christians in jail. So if you're here today and you don't like Christians, you can relate to Paul. Um, and Paul hated Christians and was on his way to persecute more Christians, put them in jail. And on the road uh, to Damascus, which there's a lot of Christian persecution going on today in Damascus, um, Paul saw Jesus. It wasn't just a vision. He literally saw Jesus, and he gave his life to Christ. He was changed. Later, he changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he became a missionary, evangelist, church planter, pastor, mentor, theologian. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. And a church that he started in uh, an area of Corinth, which is an area in the Mediterranean, uh, uh, he starts this church, and they had a lot of issues. You think that this church has issues, which it doesn't, but uh, this church has issues. You've never seen anything yet. Uh, the churches that Paul dealt with had all kinds of issues, especially the church in Corinth. They had some, some major, major issues. But before he dives into addressing the issues, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you're there, if you'd stand with us as we read God's Word together this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly. Your translation may say foolishness or stupidity. To those who are dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Since that's just such a short verse, let's read it one more time. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He draws a contrast between the foolishness of the cross to those who don't know Christ, to us who do know Christ, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for that time of worship this morning that helped us get our mind focused on you. Help bring your presence into this place. We give this service to you. Lord, I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. We've come hungry. We've come expecting. Lord, let us leave changed, shaped, and molded in your image. Father, that the message today, that your word would be planted in our heart, that it would produce fruit that is pleasing to you. We give all honor to you alone. We're nothing without you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. The title of the message today is Shape Shifter. Shape Shifter. Don't say that four times real fast. You may say something you don't mean to. Shape Shifter. Um, what we want to talk about, 1 Corinthians 1.18, Shapeshifter. If you have ever, and I'm sure that you have, um, seen or witnessed a solar eclipse. Now, a solar eclipse, and, and I know some of science, not a whole lot, but um, I, I, I love space. I enjoy shows about space. But a solar eclipse is basically the sun is here, the earth typically is here. But, but every so often, every about six months or so, the moon will pass directly between the earth, where we live, 
Some of you may not live on planet Earth, but that's another sermon. But the, the moon will pass between the Earth and the sun. So instead of a normal relationship between here's the sun, here's the earth, the moon will come in between the sun and the earth. And when that happens, it thereby blocks the sun's view to us on earth. Therefore, when it should be high noon, when we should be able to see the sun, when it should be bright as day outside, it is darkness. Maybe a few seconds, sometimes a few minutes. But the moon comes in front of the sun. And think about this. The sun is massive. You could fit dozens of earth, the size of our planet, which is pretty big, inside of the sun. The sun is huge. However, the moon is extremely small. You could fit several sizes of the moon in the earth. But think about how amazing this is. For a few moments, uh, twice a year, this small thing that is smaller than our planet this small thing can come in between us and the sun, which is many, many times bigger than our planet. And when that happens, it blocks the sun completely. What does that tell us? That something that is smaller than us can come in between something that is much bigger than us and completely and totally block the view of what's in front of us. Sometimes in our life, and many times in our life, Christians and non-Christians, that is what happens Whenever we are to be focused on the cross, we are to be like a magnet as Christians, as followers of Jesus. That's what Christian means, little Messiah. As followers of Jesus, we are to be drawn to him. In other words, we are to be like the earth and the sun. We are to draw our nutrients, our, our resources, our joy, our hope, our peace, our love, our satisfaction. Everything in your life and my life must come from one source and one source only. It doesn't come from my spouse as much as I love her. It doesn't come from you as much as I love you. It doesn't come from being a man. It doesn't come from being a pirate fan. It doesn't come from anything else. But my joy, my purpose, my satisfaction in life comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. Our sunlight gives us nutrients to grow crops and plants. And they try to do artificial sunlight and, and they're not nearly as good as the real thing. There's no imitation for the real thing. However... There are times in our life, in my life, in your life, that instead of the sun or the cross of Jesus beaming into our life, drawing nearer to it, sin, when we're not careful, can begin to, what we think, sneak up behind us, but really it's been there for a while. We've just ignored it, or we've just tried to explain it away, or we just try to rationalize it. Sin can come in and then begin, just like the, the moon. The moon is much smaller than the sun it can totally block our view of the cross. It can totally alienate us. It can totally cut us off from the nutrients that we need from the cross, the, the joy of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, and thereby leaving us, just like the earth, in total darkness. So we want to talk about today, a shape shifter. This message is very simple. It's very to the point, as you have with your outline there. First thing that we want to look at is, does life, shape your view of the cross in other words does life shape your view of the cross what i mean by that is quite simply does life does when when you have things happen in your life and let's say that it, it's a pink slip from work and you get fired um does does what you happen is that you're living your life just like the earth and the sun and the moon you're living your life. Things are going good. You had a good week this week. All of a sudden, tomorrow morning, calamity happens. You get a pink slip. 
And now, instead of seeing the cross, instead of drawing nearer to Christ, instead of being more holy, instead of using the word that we've been talking about the last several weeks, sanctification, it's the word that Paul uses in Romans, instead of doing that and drawing near to him, being more of a disciple of Christ, what happens is we're living our life and all of a sudden something comes in the way and it blocks our view. And therefore, what happens, and, and I know this as a pastor, I know this as a human and as a Christian, what happens is when problems arise, they block our view of the cross, figuratively and spiritually. And so what happens is we begin to view the cross through our problems. You following me? We begin to view the work of Jesus and his love for us and what we read in the Bible, all these things, through our problems. And there's a lot of Christians out there that when this happens, they say, why would you let this happen, God? This isn't fair. I was doing the right thing. I was praying. I was fasting. I was doing everything you said. And now this pops up. It's blocking my view. God, this isn't right. How could you let this happen to me? I pay my tithe. I'm faithful. I do all the right things. And what you're allowing to happen, and yes, you're allowing it to happen, is you are allowing an external circumstance or situation, even though it is bad, to block your view of the cross, and thereby it begins to shape your view of the cross. It begins to mold your view of Christianity, of Christ, of his work in your life. It begins to shape your view of Scripture. It doesn't happen overnight, but it takes time. And before you know it, instead of being a victorious Christian and living a victorious Christian life, you're living a defeated Christian life. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, woe is me. I'm living for God, but things never work out. I'm always, I'm always behind the eight ball in life, but I just love Jesus, and someday when I die, it'll all be over. And you are allowing these things to shape and influence your view of what Christ has done in your life. You are allowing, whether it's a pink slip or, or maybe divorce papers, maybe a relationship, maybe a doctor's report, you begin to let that block the view of the cross and now you interpret everything in your life through that filter, through that lens. Many of you wear glasses or contacts. And the purpose is because your naked eye has begun to deteriorate or has begun to fail you in vision. It begins to be a little blurry. Therefore, the doctor says, we're going to prescribe you some glasses that will help sharpen or help bring into focus that which normally is out of focus for you. So you put the glasses on and things begin to take shape. But when the glasses are off, it's fuzzy. And you begin to look at everything in your life through the lenses of those glasses. As long as your glasses are on, everything's fine and you can see. When the glasses are off, you can't see your hand in front of, a, of your face. You're blind as a bat. So it is with us and the cross. Does the problem, does the external situation, does the problem begin to shape your view of Christ and what he's done in you? Do you look through the, the filter of your problem? Do you look through the filter of sin? Do you look through the filter of the attack of the enemy, of things not working out, and then see the cross? Is that how your life is? I'm doing the right thing, but oh, this popped up. Now, instead of being victorious, instead of having victory, instead of being a successful, healthy Christian, now I am viewing God 
and the Bible, I'm viewing Christianity through this lens. And before you know it, if you don't attack that immediately, and if you do not address this immediately, it's a matter of time before you're no longer sitting here on a Sunday. Not just at this church, any church. And I know that because there's been people who have sat here, and that's exactly what's happened. They come along and, oh, everything's great. They're trying to draw closer to Christ. They're trying to be uh, more of a disciple, live a sanctified life, live a holy life, live a pure life. And somewhere along the way, something comes up and begins to block their view of the cross. And because they don't address it, because they don't nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife used to say on the Andy Griffith Show, if you remember that, because they don't address it immediately, it begins to filter their view of God, their view of Christ. And before you know it, instead of having this imperfect vision, just like with those glasses, everything is clear, everything has perfect vision. Now everything is a bit blurry. That which was once clear to me, the love that God has for me, the work that Jesus did for me, that he took my place on the cross, that when God looks down and sees me, he does not see my sin as a Christian. He sees the righteousness of Christ, as the New Testament says. Instead of having that view, you begin to have a view of, I don't know why God lets this happen to me. You know, it seems like every time I get a little ahead in life, I have to take three steps back. I mean, can't God pick on somebody else? You know, I, this prayer stuff really isn't working for me. You know, I, I go to church, I give my money, but I don't really see the point. And before you know it, what is happening is you are allowing the circumstance, the problem, the sin, the situation to define who you are and to shape who you are and worse and more importantly, to shape your view of God. To shape your understanding of who He is. Does life, does the culture around you, the culture that we live in today in America, does it shape your view of Christianity? Not religion, but does it shape your relationship with God? What the media tells you is acceptable or unacceptable. Does that influence your view of the cross? Sometimes when Christians get a bad report of the C word of cancer. They begin to view the work of Christ. They begin to view the goodness of God. They begin to view God's love and forgiveness for them instead of seeing it through Scripture, through the lens of Scripture, through the direct access to the cross. It blocks their way, just like the moon, between the earth and the sun. Something that is so small can completely bring darkness in their life. And unfortunately, unlike the eclipse that passes after a few moments, it stays there. And that darkness begins to linger and dwell and linger and dwell and linger and dwell. Before you know it, it can result in fractured relationships that result in divorce. It can result back into substance abuse. It can result um, into depression. It can result into uh, being critical of Christianity, being critical of Christ. And you allow those things to shape and influence who you are. My question is, does the sin in your life, does sickness that you have, does your view of politics, does money, does relationships or family or career or talents and gifts that you have or possessions or your self-worth and identity or current cultural issues, any of those things, do those begin to shape your view of the cross? Well, I'm a man, and so this is how I view the cross. Well, I'm a woman, and so as a woman, this is how I view her. Well, you know, I'm a conservative, and this is how I view it. Well, I'm a liberal, and this is how I view what Jesus did. Well, I'm poor, and so this is how I view what Jesus did. Well, I'm rich, and this is how I view what Jesus did. 
Well, I'm very well educated. This is how I view the cross. This is how I view God's love for me. Well, I'm not educated. In other words, are you allowing external things to shape and mold God's work in your life? The Bible says in Jeremiah that there is one potter, not many. In other words, God is the potter of our life. He shapes our life. He molds our life. In fact, that's what human being is. In Genesis, when it says that God made man in his own image, scholars call that the imagio Dei, the image of God. We are not made in the image of, of politics. We're not made in the image of money or education. We're not made in the image of race or color. We're made in the image of God alone. And anything else that comes and begins to shape and mold our view of the cross, if you don't address it immediately, it will totally warp your view of the cross. Just like, and, and I know that some of you know this, when you take Tupperware, as great as Tupperware is, and we have a house full of it, but when you take Tupperware, we take them old Cool Whip bowls and when we reuse them a thousand times to where it just says whip on it, you know, but when you put it in the dishwasher, if you're not careful, it'll warp it. And instead of using its purpose as something to contain it, it begins to be deformed or warped. It's no good for anything. So it is when you allow external things to warp and shape your view of the cross and what Jesus did. You know what this is called in reality? Idolism. Idolism, idolatry is a word in the Old Testament where they would make figurines in place of God. Since we cannot see God or hear Him, we will make small wooden and stone figurines and we will worship them because we can see them, we can touch them. More importantly, we can make them in our image. And what you're doing is you're taking God's place as the Creator. God is the Creator and only God is the Creator and you and I are His creation. And when we have idols, we make those in our image kicking God off of his rightful place. You make God in your own image. Why? Because that way God is manageable. That way God is uh, pliable. That way God, because my mind has now been warped, and instead of seeing the beauty of the cross for what it is, and having nothing interfere between me and the cross, and coming directly to Christ, instead of that, something has blocked my path, and now it's warping my view, and therefore... My view of God is really not what Scripture says. My view of sin is really not what Scripture says. And then I can begin to justify sin in my life. I can begin to say, well, you know, homosexuality is, is really, I mean, you look at those words and in the Bible and they could mean this or that. And what's happened? You have allowed culture, Hollywood, media, whatever, friends, neighbors, to shape your opinion or your view, in other words, to come between you and the cross, and now you see the cross of Christ through that lens and through that filter. And you begin to make excuses, you begin to rationalize. You know, it's one, it, it, it's one harmless little after, after work date with this coworker that's of the opposite sex. It's not gonna hurt anybody. You rationalize it, you explain it. And now, instead of viewing Christ with no obstacles, that thing that's in the way is warping your mind, shaping your mind. You're making God in your own image, manageable, understandable, easy, and no consequences. Instead of the cross shaping our worldview, we have allowed sinful culture to dictate what is right and what is wrong. 
as Justice Scalia, who just passed away a few weeks ago, said at the Supreme Court decision this past summer, unfortunately, five unelected lawyers have now dictated what they believe is morally right in this country. We have allowed other people, and that's, that's a, 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 a macro example, if you will, but in your own life, well, taking this money and not tithing on it or, or, or taking this and not doing what God told me to do, you begin to justify, you begin to rationalize it away. You make God in your image. And you begin to allow other things, you begin to allow that affair to dictate what's right and what's wrong. You begin to allow other people to tell you and to influence and shape your life, saying, you know, again, I know the Bible may say that, but really, because this happened to you, we can make an exception. We can make an excuse. You know who that sounds like? Satan in the Garden of Eden. God may have said that, but he didn't really mean it. How many of you know God says what he means and means what he says? And so many times, that's exactly what culture does to us. And as Christians, though we may be few in number, not just in this church, but in culture today, how much more should we today not just draw near, but run and cling to the cross and not let even a paper come between us, not even a blade of grass come between us? Therefore, when I do this and I draw near to the cross, nothing will come between me and Christ. Nothing will begin to shape my worldview that is impure or unholy. No, it's Him. It's Him alone. Not religion, not the denomination, not a pastor. Only Christ alone. This is why I love what Paul says in this one verse, and it's so powerful. He compares, he's talking about one subject, but two totally opposite views. You notice that in verse 18? Let's look at it again quickly. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. In other words, those who don't know Christ, they have one view and one view only of the cross, and that is absurdity. It's foolishness. He will go on later in chapter 1 to describe it as a stumbling block. They can't even take two steps and tripping over. It makes no logical sense. Why would God become a man and die in blood and sins? I mean, this is ridiculous, and so on. Paul says, those who don't know Christ have only one view of the cross, and it's absurdity. It's foolishness. It makes no sense. And many of you who became Christians in your life, you know that before Christians, you had that same view. You can relate to what Paul says because you can see yourself there. You say, yes, that was me. I viewed the cross and Christianity and church and the Bible and God and, and, and church, all these things, as foolishness. And then when I gave my life to Christ, it switched. When I gave my life to Christ, I went from blurry to having those perfect vision goggles on, glasses on, he goes on. But to us who are being saved, you might translate that word as continuing to be saved. Salvation is a one act, we're saved, but the idea is that it doesn't just stop there. No, we're continuing to grow in Christ. Being, it's the verb, it's the continual Greek action, continuing to grow in Christ. So to us who are being saved, it is God's power. Isn't it amazing to you and to me that this one thing, this one symbol, this one action that happened 2,000 years ago can have such divisive views and opposite points of views to that those who don't know Christ, it's offensive. It makes no sense. It's foolishness. How many of you have family members that believe because you're here today, you are not right in the head, that, that you don't have all the french fries to make a happy meal because you go to church, because you believe in God, because you believe in Scripture and Jesus and so on? It's foolishness. But to you who are here, hopefully all of us, 
We view it as, this is God's love for me. I see it as a blood-soaked instrument of torture that God is saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I see it not as foolishness, but as God's divine power and love for me. Notice the contrast. It's foolishness to those who don't know, but it is God's power, the creator of the cosmos, God's power in one thing. One event, one symbol, two totally opposite views. This is why the world, culture, they run from it. They're offended by it. I really believe, I know, Paul tells us here, if the culture, if the world around us really understood the value of the cross, they wouldn't run from it as they do and be offended by it all the time, keep Christ in Christmas and nativity scenes, all this absurdity stuff that's going on in culture. Instead, they would run to it. They would cling to it. I also believe, however, that many, many Christians at one point in their life were clinging to it, were holding to it. It saved me like a life raft in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It has saved me. I'll never let go. But as we become Christians older and older and longer and longer, we do the routine, we do the prayers, we go to church, we say the things, we do all the stuff. Before you know it, we begin to slowly drift away. And before you know it, one day in life, we're living along, everything's going great, and something pops up between us and the cross. And when we don't address it, it begins to shape our view of it. And what was once the power of God can quickly become foolishness. Well, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God let our family go through this event? There are many people who view cancer, they view disease, they view sickness, they view their relationships or whatever, through that lens. And secondly, does the cross shape your view of life? Does the cross shape the view of sin in your own life? I am convinced if every person in this room, every Christian out there, really took this seriously, and really instead of here's the cross, here's the problem, and here's us, it was the opposite. Instead, if it was here's the cross, and I stand behind it. And therefore, whatever may happen out there is fine. But instead of viewing the problem through that, or the cross through the problem, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to view the problem through the lens of the cross. Instead of viewing out here on my own that problems may pop up and shape my worldview, instead, I'm going to stand behind the cross, near the cross, as the old hymn says, and I'm going to view the world around me through this lens and only this lens. Example, this week, when this past Sunday night, a week ago today, when the doctors took our baby girl to West Penn Hospital and the platelets had dropped to 12,000 and so on, many people, I believe, would have had that problem that I'm trying to live for God, I'm trying to be closer, and all of a sudden, a crisis, and that's what it was, life or death, a crisis pops up. What am I going to do? Oh, my, doctors, you've got to save me. Doctors, you've got to give medicine. Doctors, you've got to do it. The hope is in this, not in that. That's what many Christians happen in life when crisis pops up. You know, my view, and I'm not bragging, but you know what my view was? Here I am. Oh, I see. Oh, she has an issue? I view it through the filter of the cross. 
Oh, there's the platelet counts are 12,000? I view it through the filter of the cross. You know what that means? That means that no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. That means that anything that comes and attacks me has already cleared his desk first. And that means that, that nothing, that he will not tempt me beyond that which I can bear. I understand that. I believe it. It's that simple. It's settled in my mind. And therefore, instead of being intimidated by a doctor's report this week, instead of being scared and afraid, no, no, no. My gut reaction was, oh God, you are the healer. Oh Christ, you gave your stripes on your back for her body and for her healing. Will you touch her and restore her? In the name of Jesus Christ, let her be healed. And she was healed. When you have that view, and you view politics, not as Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, you view politics, you view not what CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch that, well, they say that's okay. And, and they, no, no, no. What does Christ say? What does the Word of God say? Is this moral? Is this ethical? Is this biblical? Is this scriptural? Does the Bible call it sin? Because if the Bible calls it sin, I don't care what Republicans, Democrats, CNN, Fox News calls it. Does it matter to me? Does it matter if you think it's popular or it's offensive to you? No, no, no. I view my life. I view my politics. I view culture through this lens and this lens only nothing else not through what a good godly other Christian says not through what some famous televangelist asking me to give him money says no I view it through the lens of Christ through the lens of the cross let me tell you something when you do that you'll take what Jesus says about worry and stress quite literally in Matthew chapter 7 who of you by worrying can add a single minute to your life if God can take care of birds and flowers, how much more will He take care of you? But there's too many Christians. Here's the cross. Here's me. There's the sun, and I'm earth. Something blocks it, and I don't address it, and a total eclipse happens. Darkness over my life. What should have been a momentary crisis has now crept in and totally shaped my view. And before you know it, when I don't address it, when I don't allow the Holy Spirit to address it, I won't just view the cross through a warped lens. I'll turn my back completely. And I'll just drift out here in no man's land until I die or God gets my attention again. This is your view of money. As a Christian, my view of money is not my paycheck every week. My view of money isn't how many zeros, whether it's one or seven in my bank account, doesn't matter to me. No, no, no. Honey, my view of money is through the cross. Jesus says, give generously and be a good steward. Whether I have $2 or $2 million, give generously, be a good steward. Jesus doesn't say all Christians should be poor. He doesn't say all Christians should be rich. You view it through the cross, not what some pastor tells you. Except this pastor. No, I'm kidding. Your view of possessions. There are many, many Christians who instead of they have the possessions, their possessions have them. And in reality, what has happened is our possessions pile up and pile up and the house gets bigger and bigger and the cars get nicer and nicer. And before you know it, we're keeping up with the Jones and we got so much junk in our life that we can't see the cross. No, instead, as I told you a few weeks ago, when we moved into our house, which is just a normal house, we dedicated that house to the Lord. We, we anointed every door. We prayed over We said, God, you've given us this home, and now, Lord, we give it back to you that we would uh, bring people to grow in discipleship, that conversations that we would have would be pleasing to you. Lord, I view the house that you blessed us with through the lens of the cross, and let this house be open to any and everyone 
that wants to draw near to you. It shapes my worldview. Does it do that for you? This, and only this way, is how you can live a victorious Christian life. Not saying the rosary ten times. Not saying the Lord's Prayer five times, backwards, forwards, in Spanish. Nope, not going to get you anywhere. You can do it. It ain't going to work. You want to live a victorious Christian life over sin, over struggle, over problems in your life? This is the only way. You literally view everything around you in life. Money, politics, relationships, your talents, your gifts, your possession, your education, whatever. You view it all through this lens first. That you look out through the cross and see the world around you. Not like some Christians who, they do this. They're looking back at the cross, over their shoulder at the cross. And before you know it, the enemy, Satan, comes up and here's the problem, here's the crisis. And now it's defined who we are. It's defined who I am. This is what holiness and sanctification, that's what sanctification means, is holiness. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. There's a hymn that, that uh, we used to sing in my church growing up called The Old Rugged Cross. Many of you know it. And what does that hymn say? I love it. It says, and I will cling to the old rugged cross for the emblem of suffering and shame. I cling. I cling. I don't just draw near. I don't just bow down. No, I cling to it. I cling to it. The cross is my identity. You know what Galatians, Paul says, the same guy that we're talking about today, he says to another church that he started in Galatians. They had a lot of issues too. But this church in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, I encourage you to look at that today. Maybe write that down. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. You know what it says? He says this, that now because of Christ, there is no longer slave nor free. No longer rich or poor, educated, uneducated, Republican, Democrat, independent. There is no longer male nor female. He says, for we are all one in Christ. There are many, many Christians and many, many people in our society who say, my identity is Republican. My identity is this. My identity is, is I'm a boss or I'm an employee or my identity is my money. My identity is my family. My identity is my house. No, no, no. If you're a Christian today, your identity is Christ and Christ alone. My identity is not sexuality. Well, I'm a, man, I'm a man, but I feel like a woman. I'm a woman, I feel like a man. No, no, no. Well, I'm attracted to this. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ alone. That should be your identity. Not what church you go to. Not if you can pray for five hours or ten minutes. No, your identity is in Christ alone. Galatians 3.28. This should ultimately change and shape how you view sin in the world and the sin in your own life. I really believe if, and I know, if all of us had a view of sin in our own life through this lens, I, I, I see sin no longer as when I was out here before as, well, I can justify it. You know, uh, looking at those websites, I can justify it. Yeah, it's okay. You know, taking uh, a little bit more money here and there and lying on my taxes, that's coming up. It's okay. Well, you know, if I treat this person, that's it's okay. They were a jerk to me. No. If you view sin in your life through the lens of the cross, then you begin to view sin the way Christ views sin. Then you begin to view sin the way God views sin. And what does the Bible say when Jesus was on the cross? That God turned his face from Christ. 
could no longer. Why? Because at that moment, Jesus was literally, not just figurative, but literally all the sin of all mankind. God is so holy. God is so pure. Like this week, being in all these hospitals, you have to wash up every time you go in. It's a very sterile and clean environment. Even the most smallest of bacteria can infect and have critical harmful uh, circumstances. God is so holy and so pure that when Christ was on the cross bearing my sin and your sin, God couldn't look at it. And when I begin to view the sin in my life through this filter and through this lens, I begin to see it the way God sees it. Oh, it doesn't care what, what you say. You can say, well, Brian, it's okay. You're, you're making a, a big thing, a mountain out of a molehill. You're crying over spilt milk. Hey, that may be your opinion, but I'm not under your opinion. I am under the cross of Christ. I don't view my life through your lens. No, no, no. I view life through the lens of the cross. He said it was wrong. He said I shouldn't do that. He said that was sinful. That's what I'm sticking with. Congress can do whatever they want. Supreme Court can do whatever they want. They don't define morality or ethics or sin. The cross of Christ alone. And let me tell you, Christian, when you have this view and you view everything through the lens of the cross, not just the sin out there, because it's easy as Christians, right? We're really good at judging everybody else, but as Jesus said, you are so good at looking at the speck in your brother's eye, but you ignore the plank in your own, Matthew chapter 6. Hello, that's what he's talking about. Hey, when you view sin out there through this, oh man, look at all these specks in people's eyes. That's so wrong. No, at times we need to turn the mirror internally be a little uh, internally reflective. And we begin to view sin the way God views the sin in my life. And when you see the way you view sin in your life, the way God views sin in your life, you'll quit doing it. It ain't just, well, I kind of stopped doing it uh, uh, next week, or well, I kind of weaned myself off. No, when you view sin the way God views sin in your life, you'll quit. Uh, you don't need a 12-step program. You'll quit. Those things come later, maybe to help, but you'll address the problem immediately. And lastly, very quickly, and Paul can come back, the right perspective will give you the right results. The right perspective will give you the right results. And here's what I mean. As we've been saying, that when you have this view, does the world shape your view of the cross? Does culture, does sin shape your view of the cross? Or does the cross shape your view of the world? Does the cross shape your view of everything around you? Your family, your spouse, your kids? It's no longer, boy, I'm having so many issues with my kids. God, I wish you'd just do something about it. No, no, no. Instead, it's God, I'm viewing it through your lens. I may not know the answers. It may get worse before it gets better, but God, I view it through your lens. And when you begin to have that, it'll change your life. And not only that, not only will it change uh, your view of issues and problems and sin out there in the world, but also in your life. But let me tell you just some very quick things of what the Bible says that God's view of you. We talked about God's view of sin in your life, but now God's view of you. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that we are God's beloved. Scripture says that because of the cross, we are forgiven. It says that we are God's son and daughter. It also says we are God's friend. It says that we are more than conquerors. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Which means because I view the world around me through this lens, I view God 
through this lens. I view scripture through this lens. Therefore, you may go around saying, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not talented enough. Nobody likes me. I'm not gifted enough. I try and try. I don't get anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly right as long as you're out here. But once you begin to come and have this view of the cross, it's no longer what they say about you. You don't give uh, two pennies of what they say about you. Instead, it's what he says. He says, I'm more than a conqueror. He said that I am his son. I am his daughter. He said that I am co-heirs with Christ. He said that I am more than conquerors. It's no longer what others say. It's all about what he says. And he says, as long as I'm doing this, nothing's impossible with God. All things, Philippians uh, 4 says, all things work together for those who live for him and serve him and please him. That doesn't happen when you're out here. It only happens when you're this. All things work together. That's the lens. That's what you said. I didn't say it. Pastor didn't say it. That's what you said. And you know what that's called? Standing on the promises of God. That's what that's called. It's an old Christian term. But you have your view, not only of sin, not only of issues and crisis in your life, but you have your view of yourself. Some of you have such low self-worth. And you're here today and you barely came in because your head was dragging. Because you have so such low self-worth. I'm not good enough. I'll never make it. No, no, no. That may be what somebody told you years ago. That may be what they said about you. But let me tell you what he said is you're, you're more than I made you perfectly. I made you the way I wanted. Before, when you were in your mama's womb being stitched together, I was doing that. I knew you and I love you. And you're more than a conqueror. I am for you. There's a, a, a pastor one time that said, uh, and kind of an interesting thought whether you agree or disagree but he says the devil there, there's votes the devil votes against you and God votes for you and you decide the final vote when you have this worldview it's going to be negative all the time but when you have the worldview of the cross it'll be positive it's working together Lord I don't know how I don't know when but God I trust you I don't have the money I got the bill coming up but God I trust you I'm viewing it Lord through this lens Paul can come back and begin to play. Your perspective on life and the world around you will make a complete difference. And it's good or bad depending on what lens you view these things from. And only this correct perspective will you have and understand that it doesn't matter what others say or think, but only what God has already said about you. Before we pray, I just want to leave you with this simple question. Does the cross define how you view everything around you? Or does the culture define the cross? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for 1 Corinthians 18. Lord, not my words, but the anointing and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, there's two worldviews of one thing, and that's the cross. And for those of us outside, even good, well-intentioned Christians, problems, crisis come up, sin in our life, and we justify it, or we get angry at you. And those things, just like a lunar eclipse, cast darkness in our life. We begin to question you. We begin to get mad at you. We begin to blame you. Before long, that darkness, which was only meant to be temporary, becomes permanent. And what we have allowed to happen in our life 
is the culture is sin and the issues around us has now shaped and warped our view of who you are your love for us what your word says about us no father let it not be instead Lord let us stand behind the cross that way everything we see in the world around us everything around us in our culture would be viewed through one lens and one lens only not the opinion of others not how we feel politically not what we think about this or that or others say no 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 it will be viewed through one and one thing only the cross of Christ what your word says is right and wrong that your cross will literally shape who we are and our worldview that way when crisis comes we don't panic we're not afraid the world may think we're crazy you should be panicking you should be worrying don't you know how bad it is I don't need to know how bad it is I know how good he is I know what he's already done I don't view the problem to the cross I view the cross to the problem if you're here today and you've never received Christ we don't want to end any of our services without giving you a chance to make a decision to follow Jesus in other words to respond to what God may be dealing with your heart while I've been talking today and if that's you, if you'd come right now, don't wait, don't hesitate. Just come right now. You can bring somebody with you. I would love to pray with you. What you're doing is making a public statement. God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I am sick and tired of what was once a temporary eclipse in my life is now cost, cast a permanent shadow. It's warped my view. God, I know that you're good. I know that you do good. I know that you love me. I know you have great plans for me. But because of this issue, or because of justifying the sin of my life, I can't see that anymore. It's blocked my view of the cross. And when you come in, in an instant, you have the forgiveness of Christ, and you'll begin to view everything around you through the cross. Does life and culture and problems and sin, does that shape your view of Christ? Or does Christ shape your view of everything around you? If you want to know the answer to that, come right now. I want to pray with you. I want to talk with you. Other people will be here to pray with you as well. Maybe fill out that connection card that's under the seat in front of you. I'd love to take you out to lunch one day this week or whatever's convenient for you. You say, yeah, I'm close, but I got some more questions. I understand that. I'd love to talk with you more. There's a guy in John chapter 3 in the Gospels named Nicodemus. He was a very religious, scholarly guy. He came really close to accepting Christ, but he said, I have some more questions. I want to talk to you about it. I'd love to do that. But I'm begging you, do not, do not, do not walk out those doors with make, without making a decision to make one step closer to the cross of Christ. Do it right now as we sing.